For decades, it was a tradition built in rock. Wow. It's the celebration what up, what up, what up? of humanity. Oh my God, it's amazing. The best. It sets you free and when you dance to it, it gets you moving. The radio. <laughs> to offer. I think, uh, you know, it got to the point where people wanted real music from real people and real songs from real people. Real people. Somewhere along the way, it became just another casualty of financial restraint. And let's be honest, honest, apathy. Now, now, let's do it. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Let's go. The Mojo Radio Show is bringing it back. Welcome to Rocktober 2019. A 31-day celebration of all things Mojo. From the boardroom to the bedroom. This is Ryan Fox. This is Cal Newport. This is Tate Bush. Hi, this is Ivor Davies from iFound. And it's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Plus, all the trimmings you'd expect from the rockingest month on the calendar. Stand by. Rocktober continues now. Hear your name, Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Hey everybody and welcome to week two of Rocktober 2019. By far our biggest month of the year. For those who have just joined us, just locked on to the Mojo Radio Show, what is Rocktober? Robbo and I have a long tradition working together in rock radio stations here in Australia. And traditionally, October was a month that rock radio stations around the world would turn into Rocktober. And they'd essentially turn themselves inside out, shake up the format for the month of Rocktober. And they'd redo their whole production, the whole sound of the radio station, big giveaways. They'd have live gigs, they'd have acoustic sets, they'd have comedy, they'd do movie reruns, the whole thing. It would just be a shake-up of the format. We're not doing any of that. <laughs> nah, we are. We're doing, a little, we're doing a little bit of it. And uh, because it disappeared, what are we in our fourth or fifth Rocktober? Uh, fourth. Yes, fourth. Fourth? Fourth Rocktober? So yeah. four years ago, we decided to bring it back. We have got great guests... We've got great music. We have got acoustic sets. We have got swag. We've got movie mojo. And it is a longer show. It's longer format only because we had so much stuff we wanted to put into it. And I don't know. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'd have to say I don't think there'd be a format of a podcast anywhere in the world that would do a long form show like this with the production, the quality of it, the sound, the features. It, it it, it does. It is different, isn't it? It is. Lo- it is very different. And in fact, if you if you look up Urban Dictionary and put in Rocktober, 
This is actually a more apt description. So you've had a lot of you've had a lot of time on your hands. So let me uh, let me just flick through the Urban Dictionary. Thanks to the people <laughs> at Urban Dictionary for this. Um, Thirty-one days of drunken good times, lots of laughing, lots and lots of drinking, pretty girls, cute guys, smoking hot times. That's the Rocktober I seem to recall from our radio days, anyway. So, with that, on that note, AP, welcome. Thank you, Gary. Must admit, the intro does uh, give the show a bit of a lift. It sure as hell it needs it. And smoking hot chicks, Lola. Welcome to Rocktober 2019. Hello, boys. Before we start, thank you to all our supporters on Patreon who do. They are the fuel, they are the oil in our squeaky wheel. Thank you to the guys from Patreon for supporting us. We've put a new target down. Here's the, here's the plan, guys. During summer this year, our intention is to do live outside broadcasts, pop-up broadcasts, as one of our Patreon listeners sent a mere note. A pop-up OB, we're going to call them, and we're going to do them from Bondi Beach. We have got our first international guest locked in, Jay-Z, who will be on the air with us. We are hiring an OB setup, I suspect you call it. But we are now, we set a new target for ourselves, which is not beyond what we already have, but it's a little bit more so we can go and buy our own set. So if an international guest comes to our country, we will take them live somewhere in Sydney and record face-to-face with them. That will be a lot of fun. We've now also purchased ourselves <laughs> some Mojo Radio Show Summer Hummers. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the Black Thunders? So we've got our of own course. street patrol now, our street crew. We're currently putting together our street giveaways, our packs for the prize pigs. And uh, Can I just tell you, Lola looks hot in a bikini. <laughs> The Mojo Radio Show. Interesting one for October, which you might be able to shed some light on. I was doing some browsing through LinkedIn the other day and came across this article about uh, a situation that happened in the States a couple of weeks ago when McDonald's had their McHappy Day. Now, we have it here. Every Big Mac they sell, they donate a dollar to children's cancer charities. Great cause. The interesting thing for me, and this is where I'm interested in your thoughts, what Burger King did was they turned around and ran an ad in every newspaper around the States saying, we're not selling our Whoppers today because they're our biggest selling burgers. Instead, we'd prefer you to go to McDonald's and buy a Big Mac. And I, I mean, for me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But uh, do, do you see something in that that I'm missing? It's hard to know what the actual strategy was. But hearing you say that, to me, it almost sounds like they're saying we have a mission that's greater than just making money. And when you, for that day, if you have a mission, whatever it may be within mm. the organisation, and your this goes back to what we talked about with Evan Evan Hafer from Black Rifle Coffee last week. If you're mission first before me first, mm. and you put the mission in front of me, the me is typically the corporate world doing what they can to take money out of our pocket to make more profits for shareholders. When you put mission first, you go above and beyond that. That's what that sounds like. Is what and it's it's very very clever because you are saying to all the people who buy whoppers. We are putting our mission of helping children who have cancer way above corporate profits. So on mm. this day, it's just a good idea. You should go and do this. Yeah, clever, huh? I suspect the strategy is that by putting mission first, the people who then go and perhaps perhaps go and buy a McDonald's burger, mm. 
will then go back to Burger King knowing that this is a company with a soul, this is a company with a heart, this is a company who actually for that particular day and or who knows, puts the mission of helping children above and beyond the profit. Because typically what would happen is a burger coming up against McDonald's would then try and match it in some way, which is all about maximising their profits and traffic through the door. So Mm. it's cool. I mean, Mm. it's a really cool idea. You know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? What do they call it? They call it uh, Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> what do they call it? Well, I don't know. I didn't go on a burger king. October on the Mojo Radio Show. At the back end of the show a couple of weeks ago with the founder of Athletic Greens, Chris Ashenden. Chris, who is a fan of the show and enjoyed the interview we did, said to us off the air, I'd like to introduce you to some of my friends. Now, this is a guy who has a fantastic network of top performers around the world and good to his good to his word. Chris sent out some emails and hooked us up with some of his mates. And thanks to Chris and the guys at Athletic Greens, we were able to make contact with some of those people. And Chris introduced us to the guy who's said to be the world's most productive man, Craig Ballantyne. I, I'd known of Craig for many years and he, some of his work really influenced how I set up and execute my day. Craig Ballantyne is the author of The Perfect Day Formula, and the New York Times best-selling book, Unstoppable. In fact, he's done five books, and his videos on YouTube have been watched over 13 million times. He's a very high-paid coach, and he's got a very raw, no-nonsense coaching style. Craig's the guy we turn to when you want to take back control of your life and spend more time with your families or on what really matters, and that's the essence of Craig's perfect life formula. We have him on the line. Craig, welcome to Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Yeah, it's good to be here, and it's going to be a lot of fun. When people ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? Uh, that's a good question. And so what I like to say is I help people get their stuff together, get their act together, and get their life together so that they really dominate their days, whether they're you know, we have lots of people who are, uh, you know, homemakers who have read my book and used my systems and they dominate their days that way. And then I have CEOs who dominate their days in another way. So it's really helping people get their perfect day schedule perfected and customized for them, no matter what situation of life they're in right now. Well, let's let's start there. And myself and many of the people uh, who are listening to you today will know you're very well known for your philosophy of own the day, control your life. And just to start us off with having done that work now and the observations you have with your keynote speaking, the workshops you're doing, the people you're mixing with, is it your feeling that perhaps we've lost control of our day? You know, it's we've become more reactive and that is a little bit of losing control. Now, the most successful people we see, whether again, they're, you know, homemakers with three kids at home or whether they're CEOs of, you know, billion dollar companies that I work with, the people that are proactive are the ones that are most successful and have the least amount of stress. 
And they're the ones that plan ahead for their days. They know what they're going to be doing at, at certain times. They know how to, uh, you know, keep themselves out of trouble, which is, you know, keep themselves off social media and keep themselves away from gossip and all these bad things. Whereas the reactive person struggles and you can see successful people that are reactive, but they're very, very stressed out and very anxious at the end of the day. And they seem to be going, you know, 18 to 20 hours a day. And that's just not a way that you can live forever. So it's really about being proactive. That's how we own the day, Gary. And that's what I really want to emphasize. No matter where, where you are in life right now, what you're doing, you can have a much better life if you're proactive. And you're, you're very recognized for the first 50 minutes of the day sets up your day. That's probably one of the, the, the really first profound things when I came across you on another podcast and I heard that. I went, you know, that's such, such a profound piece Given that, Craig, what's the most important consideration people need to give to themselves first thing in the morning? Oh, it's a great question. And you can look at it like this. You know, when you get on a plane in America, they do this little spiel about if the oxygen mask falls from the roof, you have to make sure that you take care of yourself first. You put the oxygen mask on yourself first before putting it on others. Because otherwise, if you didn't, you would run out of oxygen and not be able to serve others. And that's the same with the 15 minutes in the morning and taking care of ourselves first. In order to be our best selves for others, whether it's for our children or whether for our team at work or whether for our clients and customers, we have to make sure that we're taken care of. And the 15 minutes in the morning is something that actually allowed uh, me to become a free man, I like to say. It allowed me to overcome the you know, requirement of working for somebody else because I worked for 15 minutes every morning before my, you know, regular job back in the day. And that allowed me to build my business and become an entrepreneur. And it's amazing what you can get done in 15 minutes when you plan ahead for it. So it's not just the 15 minutes in the morning, it's five minutes the night before planning that 15 minutes. And when you wake up, you focus on your number one priority in life for 15 minutes. And if you do that six days a week, that's 72 hours in a year of focused time on your number one priority. And that's going to move you ahead in life. Are you one for believing in rituals, Craig? So first up in the morning, as you're setting up the day, are you a ritualized believer? Um, Yes. As long as it doesn't become this perverse form of procrastination, which is actually what I'm finding I'm finding that in a lot of people are getting, you know, emails from people saying, oh, you know, it's by 730 or eight o'clock in the morning. I'm actually so stressed out because I've had this three hour morning routine. And, you know, they think they have to be kind of, it's serious. It's, there's articles, there's articles on websites like Inc.com about the 14 things that successful people do before breakfast. And if you add up all the things that they do, it would take four hours And successful people don't do 14 things before breakfast. What they really do is one or two important things. You know, first thing in the morning, they get a very quick centered mindset routine, whether it is one thing of meditation or prayer or gratitude, whatever it is, it just needs to be very short and quick so that you get your mind centered for the rest of the day and go on and focus because Really, if you know, and a lot of people are doing this, they think they have to do gratitude journaling, they have to do meditation, they have to do yoga, they have to do exercise, they have to do freeform journaling, they have to do interpretive dance. You know, it's like 19 things that they have to do before breakfast, and it really is stressing people out because they read about this person does this and this person does that. But again, if you take a look at the most successful people in the world, as Warren Buffett says. The difference between successful people and very successful people is that very successful people say no to almost everything. So keep yeah. your rituals 
short, sweet, and purposeful, and you will be successful. So based on that, Craig, somebody is listening to this. They want to get on board with this. What's What would you say is the one most important question that people should confront each morning before they start their day? So in that, in that time when they're going to own their day, they buy into it. If there was one question that they need to address in their own mind in that time to crush the day, what, what would you say that question would be? Well, well, first of all, the question, just a slight modification, the question has to be asked the night before. So when we get up, we need to know exactly what we're doing. We can't be you know, having this conversation first thing in the morning because it slows us down. And you can't make your to-do list first thing in the morning. It needs to be done the night before. So a to-do list in the morning is already too late. But the question you ask yourself the night before is what's my number one priority? What is my number one priority? Now, this is going to vary depending on where you are in life. If you have a newborn baby, your newborn baby is your number one priority. You're going to get up. You're going to check on it. You're going to make sure that the newborn baby is taken care of. Even if you have kids up to three, four, five years of age, your child is your number one priority, and they're going to be your focus first thing. But if you're in a season of wealth building, you, you need to know your number one priority. You're like, you know, what is my number one thing I should be focusing on when I get up in the morning to move myself ahead in life? Or if you're in a season of spiritual development, you know, it's like, how can I, you know, what should I study first thing in the morning to improve my spirituality? Or if you're in a season of health, like let's say you're a 55 year old person, the kids are out of the house, you're financially okay, but you know, you're pre-diabetic. Well, you need to focus on your health first thing in the morning, whether it's meditation or exercise or nutrition. So it's what is my number one priority? And then you give that 15 minutes to it first thing in the morning, because as we know, as the day goes on, you have less and less control of your life and you have to focus on your priority early in the day. Craig, how do you manage your energy levels? You, when I hear you on podcasts and see you being interviewed, you have, you have a great energy. What, what do you go through in your day to help you manage, maintain and keep your energy levels to be able to do what you need to do to the best of your ability? Oh, I love this question. I don't think I've ever been asked it before. And, and it's funny that you should ask it because if you went and watched my videos from 2007, and some of these videos have literally been watched over 2 million times on YouTube, you will find that I sound like the most boring, monotonous, low energy person. <laughs> no, I'm serious. If you, watch, if you Google Craig Valentine 300 workout on YouTube, you will find me, and that's the one that's been watched two million times. You will say this person seems to have had a lobotomy and is a robot. <laughs> so, so this is—it's actually training. Like right now, I am in performance mode, and that is the mindset that I take into it. It's very much like when Tony Robbins goes on stage; he does priming and he does this, that, and the other thing. I don't do any, you know, yelling or screaming. I just go, and when I get on the the interview, I bring my energy to it. And I had to train myself to do that over the years. Now, that's one thing. But in terms of energy, all day energy, I'm very fortunate that I seem to have all day energy from the time I get up. I, I don't drink a lot of caffeine. Um, I probably have about 50 milligrams of caffeine a day, which is less, which is about what you get in a green tea, a small green tea. Um, but most days, actually, I haven't had any caffeine today, and it's um, 5 p.m. where I am, but I'm still pretty high energy. And one of the things that I found gave me all-day energy was something I resisted for seven years. When I, I first heard about it when I was 25, and I didn't start doing it until I was about 32, and that is get up 
at the same time every day and go to bed at the same time every day, seven days a week. And when you do that as close as possible, you will have all day energy. Uh, you won't be dragging your butt on Monday morning. It won't take you until Wednesday to start feeling normal again. Because before that, I was staying up until my wake up time on Friday or Saturday night and then and then trying to go to sleep on Sunday night and I would toss and turn and then I would get up on Monday morning really exhausted. So that was one of the biggest things that gave me all day energy. Maybe even more than, you know, having a good nutrition program. You know, I still use athletic greens and I eat lots of fruits and vegetables and I have a very excellent diet and I get exercise every day, even if it's just an hour long walk. And so that's really what it comes down to is consistency. Humans are meant to be consistent. We're meant to eat at the same time. We're meant to go to bed and get up at the same time. We are meant to do relatively the same thing every day. And the closer you can stay to your schedule, the more you're going to stay high energy. And I will say I travel over 150 days a year. I go multiple time zones all the time and I don't get out of my routine my data, my sleep routine and my nutrition routine because I know how important it is. Do you use a, a waking mechanism, Craig? Do you use, use a clock or a, a, a mechanism to wake up or you, because of this ritual, you're able to wake up on your own? How does that work? Uh, it's a good question. And so sometimes I, I do need an alarm clock. Um, most of the time I wake up a few minutes before and then sometimes I'll wake, especially with the time zone, uh, if I'm going east to west, I'll wake up an hour before it and I won't be able to go back to sleep, you know, especially if you're going from Toronto where I live to Pacific's time zone, which is three hour difference. You know, the first two nights that you're there, you're getting up really early in the morning. Um, and, but when I come back, I'll need that alarm clock because you're going in and it's a, a big movement three hours forward. So most of the time, I would say 50, 50, 50, 50 alarm and 50, 50, uh, I get up a little bit before. I want to take you back in time. Um, to the 80s, 1980s, and you were only young, you were about five years old, and you've said you heard an inner voice that said to you, you are special. And what I'm curious about is why did you hear that voice and believe it and then use that as fuel? Why did you not do what most people do is use as a default and go, yeah, right. Like the imposter syndrome normally squashes that. Why did you, to this day, when you look back, why did, how did you believe that? Hmm. Well, I think I have a, a slightly larger than normal ego, but uh, this is amazing <laughs> that you brought this. I do. I do. And it, it's, it's good and bad, um, but it's amazing you brought that up. I mean, you've really done your homework on this because I don't think I've mentioned that on too many uh, shows, but so yeah, so just to give a bit of background to people listening, when I was five years old, I was playing with my cousins uh, out in the farm where I grew up, and I, I don't know why, I just it was, all I heard in my mind was, you are special. I didn't hear anything else, I didn't hear why, I didn't hear, um, you're going to do this, I didn't, you're going to do that. All I heard was that, and then I went back to playing with my, my relatives, and I... I believed it though, because I believed that I could go out and do things, you know, great things and do the work. And, and, you know, it's not like I'm Mark Zuckerberg or anything. I'm not, I guess I haven't been maybe as special as some other people, but I really truly believe I have the self-confidence in myself that I can go out and do great things. I take action every day. And now I will say though, to your second part of the question about the imposter syndrome, what I've discovered over the years of coaching people. And I mean, I've coached people who are, you know, have a hundred thousand dollar business. And I coach one of my clients has a $750 million business. 
And every single person I've ever coached has always struggled with self-doubt. And that, you know, uh, in other words, the imposter syndrome, you know, the, the CEO of the big company, when he goes on stage at his annual events in front of his employees, he thinks, well, what are these people, what do they want to hear from a farm boy like me? Because he grew up on a farm. So everybody has the imposter syndrome and self-doubt. And I fight it from time to time as well. But what I found is, is that everybody's been successful in one area of their life. Maybe they've been a champion athlete. Maybe they've they've just turned out to be an amazing parent. Maybe they are just really, really great as a friend. Maybe they're a good business person. Well, if you're good in one area of life, you can take the same systems that allowed you to be good there and transfer it to any other area of life. So we can all overcome the imposter syndrome and self-doubt by doing the work. Now, we obviously will have natural talents in some areas, but uh, more so than others, but we can all get better every single day in every area of life using the systems that allowed us to become good in our best area of life. There, there are a lot of people who are struggling with life, Craig, and we we hear about them, we see see them each day. And I'd just be interested to know that, that even though you had this self-belief, which I think is just such a beautiful message for ourselves and also as for parents, there must have been some low points in your life when you look back and rewind your tape thus far. When you had those low points, what were you doing then that you know you shouldn't have been doing? Because with your experience now of dealing with this imposter syndrome, when you think back to those moments where you are at the low point, what did you do that you shouldn't have been doing? So my lowest points were in 2006. I was very successful as an entrepreneur. I was about 30 years old and I was working all the time and I was celebrating all the time. So, I mean, I was you know getting like five hours of sleep and I was working 12 or 14 hours a day. And then I was going out in the big city of Toronto and enjoying life. And it caught up to me. And I ended up having these really bad anxiety attacks. And they were so bad that I had to go to the emergency room twice thinking I was having a heart attack. And there I was at 30 years old, just a foolish young man. And so really it was not having structure in my life, not being true to myself. I think, you know, I was chasing uh, validation from others, I think through the partying and through spending money and going on these wild trips and stuff that I was doing, none of that really mattered to me. And so I think I wish I would have lived by my true core values earlier in life. I mean, it was only a couple years later that I really had them dialed in and I've lived in them, living them ever since. But there was definitely a phase where I went through life. And as most people do, especially if they get a little money uh, when they're young, they just go and they do some things that are, are not, are instantly gratifying, but in the long term, a little bit disappointing. And so I wish I had been more mature and a little less selfish with my time. And now I'm you know, trying to make up for that and, and improve and teach that to the people that are going through the same stages right now. So those are the things I struggled with. And I really overcame it by the structure that I then turned into the perfect day formula. So I, I actually started learning the stuff for my book going through my lowest points of my life. You seem to be someone who is quite in touch with their purpose in life now. So you seem to be someone who has a, a clear direction about why you're here and what you're about, what you, your personal mission is. With the people you work with, so you mentioned somebody who might have a $100,000 company through to someone running a $750 million company. Somewhere in that is a new client who comes to you who's lacking that direction and lacking that purpose 
what advice do you give that person? What's the, what are the key questions that you would address with that person to help them try and find that purpose to give them that direction? Yeah, very, very nice question. And so there's really two parts to this one. So first of all, we're going to go and really do like a 30,000 foot uh, view on this and you know, really go high up and look down and we're going to say, well, what really matters in your life? What are your values? And, and the question that I ask in my workshops is this, in 20 years from now, what do you want to have accomplished in the four major values in your life, your health, your wealth, your family, and your personal self, your personal enrichment or experiences? And we figure out, okay, you know, most people say they want to raise well-adjusted children and have a loving relationship. And if you take a look at that as being their major value in life, and then you take a look at how they're spending their time on a day-to-day basis. They're working 13 hours. They're commuting. They're, they're barely home. They're not reading to their children as they tuck them in, you know, as somebody else tucks them into bed. You go, well, this is a huge mismatch in your alignment between your goals and your actions here. And then we start to, you know, make the changes that we need to make in those individuals there. Now, the second part of it is a little more granular. And we say to somebody, okay, you know, if you have a hundred thousand dollar a year business, you're probably getting a lot of opportunity. And as, and as you go higher and higher, you're getting opportunity all over the place. People are emailing you, calling you every day. Hey, let's partner on this. Let's do this. Hey, will you contribute to this? And there's so much opportunity that the biggest problem is that most people don't say no to it and then they get overwhelmed. So, you know, they're like, Oh, well, I, I feel bad if I don't go to this company's grand opening, you know, they're right down the road from me. And if I don't go to their grand opening, maybe we won't do business in the future. Yeah. That means I'm going to miss little Johnny's soccer practice, but I can't miss this business thing. Yes, you can miss the business thing. Yes, you can, you know, in 40 years from now or 20 years from now or 10 years from now or 40 days from now, you're not going to sit there and think, man, I really feel bad about missing that grand opening down the street. No, you're going to feel bad about missing little Johnny's soccer practice. So we start putting in a lot of not to do rules. We make boundaries around their life because otherwise you could be working 25 hours a day, eight days a week if you didn't put boundaries in place. And a lot of people try and do that and they end up frustrated or they have anxiety attacks. And I want to protect people from that. So first of all, it's values. Let's get very clear on what matters to you. And then let's say no to the stuff that doesn't. Because you create a not to do list, don't you? Yeah, I think that might be just as important, maybe even more important than your to do list, because your not to do list keeps you out of trouble. And if you think about an extreme example, like a recovering alcoholic, well, they can have a great to-do list, you know, say the serenity prayer, drink water, uh, you know, do all, you know, say your prayers and be good person six and a half days a week. But if on that last half day of the week, you go into a bar, you're in trouble. So you really need to have that not to do list, which says stay out of bars, stay away from people that drink alcohol, stay away from the people that are going to tempt me. And that list is more important than the say your prayer, uh, drink your water, be a good person list. That not to do list is what matters. And you can apply that to anything, whether it's weight loss or whether it's business or whether it's even, you know, keeping a strong relationship with your spouse, your not to do list might be more important than your to-do list. It's, it's such a strange thing though, Craig, because last week I interviewed uh, Amy Morin who wrote the 13 things that mentally strong people don't do. And mm. one of the things we talked about was that the success of the book was because it was about, she said, you can be doing 10 things right, but the one thing you do wrong can mess the whole lot up. Yet language-wise, we're told not to focus on the negatives of it, but that not to-do list is quite powerful. Would you agree that 
you could be doing a whole bunch of stuff right, but then do a stuff that you shouldn't do and it can come unstuck? Well, I would say a great example of this is investing. You can make 10 great investments and then get wiped out by one bad investment. And that's, you know, that's the mindset of the not to do rule. Keep yourself out of trouble. Keep yourself out of trouble like the alcoholic must keep themselves out of bars, like the investor must keep themselves out of bad investments. And, you know, like the person who's trying to lose weight probably needs to keep themselves out of, you know, the the place where they're serving, uh, you know, pies and stuff like that. So it's if you protect yourself from, from the bad environments, oftentimes that's enough to keep you successful. Even if you don't do that many things right, it's really protecting yourself from the downside is so important. This interview series for Athletic Greens is about speaking to high achievers who are doing great work in all aspects of their life. Tell me from your experience of working with a lot of people, and I suspect testing a lot of things on yourself, if you had to recommend just a one percenter, so not the big, just a one percenter that would be a game changer for anybody who is on this journey, what would you recommend as that one percenter? Well, we've already covered the 15 minutes in the morning already, so I don't want to cover that again. So I think the next thing would be to create a clear and concise vision for your future. You really need to know exactly where you want to get to. And when you know exactly where you want to get to, the path there becomes very clear. And I always like to use this example, and I apologize, it's an American example, but I think you'll get it too. So in most American families, going to Disney World is some type of dream holiday. You know, whether you're a child, you're going to go with your parents, or whether you're a parent and you have a young daughter, you want to, you want to take that child to Disney World. That is a dream destination. That's like our vision for our future, our dream future. We need to be that clear about where we want to get to. And when you're that clear about going to Disney World, it's very simple. Well, you're going to fly to Orlando, Florida, and then you're going to get in a rental car in Orlando, Florida, and you're going to drive to Disney World. You know, you're just going to punch it in on the GPS and you're going to get there. Straight line to success. And it's the same if you know your dream destination in life, whether two or three years from now you want to be living on this street, you want to have uh, you know, this family, it, how your family's going to look, what your family does on a regular basis, what your kids are involved in, what you do for your job, the hours that you work, the cars that you have in your driveway, the, the pool that you have in your backyard, all that stuff. If you're very, very clear about that, then you know exactly what you need to do to get there. Exactly. It's a straight line of success and it stops you from going off on those detours. It's almost like a built in not to do list because it keeps you out of trouble. And, and so that's what I highly recommend because if you take a look at high performers like Michael Phelps, a guy who's won 20 gold medals or something, he's always doing visualization. Same with top athletes, same with top business people. They always know where they're going to next. And I remember reading about chess masters just the other day and a grandmaster in chess knows the next 12 moves. Isn't that amazing? The next 12 moves. They know exactly what they're going to do for the next 12 moves. I mean, that's insane. But that is the same equivalent of a high performer knowing their vision for their future because then that allows them to win the game. That's good, isn't it? It is. I just made it up right now. I mean, I didn't make up the fact, but that was the first time I told the story like that. And and I'm like thinking. It's good. Because. It's really, really powerful analogy that that someone who is so prolific. Well, I mean, they're just, they're so good at their skill. You know, the chess master, and that's actually what I call myself. I call myself chess master because I move my my coaching clients along the board because I see what's right for them. 
And it's, it's, you know, if you have that vision, you know exactly where you want to get to. It's just, it's so simple, you know, it's just like, okay, here's exactly what I need to do. Now it's not easy. It's simple is different than easy because, you know, climbing, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is simple. It's been done before. It's not easy. By no means is it easy, but it's simple. And in most cases, success in life is very simple. Whether you're losing weight, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And, and same with writing a book. It's pretty simple, but it's not easy. Running a marathon, you just put one foot in the other in front of the other for 26 miles. It's simple. It's the simplest thing. Right? I just go put one foot in front of the other for 26 miles. No problem. It's not easy. But it's all been done before. There are systems to do it very well. And that's what we have to take advantage of. You're a very confident leader, Craig, with the workshops you're doing the presentations you give, the people you're working with. Being a confident leader now, has it always been that way? When you think back, has that always been an attribute that has been attributed to you? Not at all. No, 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 no. I mean, if you again, going back to 2007 when I was doing those terrible videos on YouTube, I, um, I mean, I just avoided difficult conversations. I had low energy. So, you know, if you went to a meeting with a manager and they were low energy and they didn't want to be there, I mean, that's not going to inspire confidence or uh, really make the team member feel that great. And so I had to learn it over time. But leadership is a learnable skill, as is everything. So I'm also relatively introverted. I have introverted tendencies. I don't label myself as an introvert, but I say I have introverted tendencies. And what that means is, in most cases, I would rather be sitting in my room reading a book rather than out there leading and having conversations and doing presentations. But I know how valuable that is to the end user and to my people and to, to my own business. And so I go out and, and I do those things. And I've learned to become better, just like I've learned to have energy on video. Right now, I have tons of energy on video, and some of those videos have been watched a million times for the better because of the high energy. So you can go and you can learn how to become a leader, a manager, a speaker, somebody who's got high energy on video. There's no excuse to stay wrapped up in a box of labels. And so you just go and you get expert advice, feedback, coaching, and you continue to take action get more feedback, and it's that virtuous cycle that builds you up. Just finish this sentence for me. The best thing I ever did was get rid of... I would say alcohol. I would say alcohol as, a, as you know, binge drinking. I was That's what I did when I was younger, and I was very selfish, and I lived like a frat boy for too long, and I think that that was one of the most important things that I stopped doing. Now, I don't... I, I, I might have one drink at dinner with friends once a week, but I don't need it, and it allowed me, you know, it had held me back for a long time um, in social s settings, and I'm really glad that I gave it up. The best piece of advice to this day that I live by is? Um, control what you can. So I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophy and Epictetus as my teacher, and he has this phrase, control what you can, cope with what you can't, concentrate on what counts, and that's what I built my Perfect Day Formula book off, and it's something that I live to this day. So that would be, because it's a question I was going to ask you, actually, knowing you enjoyed the Stoics, um, is that the great Stoic lesson that you live by? Absolutely, because it really comes down to, you know, you, you, like let's say your website is down. Oh, man, my website's down. You can get angry, and you can send angry messages to a website designer or a tech person on your team, but how does that advance the situation? And I used to do this all the time. So you can control your response to everything. You can say, okay, all right, this is disappointing, but 
if I send an email at five in the morning to a guy who's not going to get up until get to work until nine and I send an angry email, what, what's the point? How does that make anything better? He's going to get in. He's going to feel bad that the website is down. It's not like he's happy about it. And so it's all about controlling your emotions because you can't control what other people do. You can't control if it's going to rain, but you can control your response to everything. And when I, when I read that, I mean, it was almost like, I wouldn't say it was instantaneous, but it was very quick that the, you know, so much stress and pressure was off of my shoulders because I'm like, I'm in control here and I can change the situation from it being stressful to me having a better perspective of reality and responding better. I control what I can. Speaking of old guys, not quite as old as the Stoics, but if you, can you cast your mind back to a time when an old guy said something profound to you that to this day has stuck with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I was very fortunate when I was in high school to have a boss. Um, I worked at a greenhouse and, you know, a nursery and we, you know, we sold plants and trees and all this stuff. And, and I just remember my boss, he worked so hard. He must've been 55 years old and he was working me into the ground. And then his father would come in who was 85 years old and he would work from two until five in the afternoon. And he would work me into the ground. Here I was a 14 year old guy. I was supposed to be, you know, the high energy, you know, you know, nothing could stop me guy. And it was just all about serving the customer and doing what you love to serve the customer. And that is something that I learned. It wasn't necessarily a phrase. It was just something I learned by observing these guys, that hard work is really uh, valuable. And so I guess, actually, now that I've rambled on, I will say one thing. Bedros Kulian, my, my Armenian friend, his father said to him, work is holy. And I love that phrase because you know, work is a pure thing. You're doing good things for others. And so work is holy. Even though I didn't know it when I was a teenager, I, I think that my Dutch boss, Bill, who I learned so much from, he would have agreed with that phrase. You're a, a believer in rules. And it's something I've taken from your work over the last number of years. Can you, just to close this up, can you explain the the 12 rules mindset that you take? Yeah. So most people are probably thinking, oh, I don't want more rules for my life. I've already got rules and regulations from you know, the municipality and the city, I can, you know, I have to take my garbage out on this day. I can, you know, if I take it out another day, I get in trouble. All these rules. I don't want more rules, Craig. And I understand because as humans, we rebel when rules are imposed upon us. We don't want other people to tell us what to do. But when we make our own rules for our life, our guiding blueprints, our personal philosophies, we build a powerful operating system in ourselves so if you think about your iPhone or your, your Android phone, that thing has many, many rules in it. And because it has rules in it about how it operates, it has an amazing operating system and allows you to talk to people in Japan and allows you to watch movies from all over the world, allows you to do so many great things. And that is the same benefit that we get when we put operating systems and rules into our life. And so I just put... And most people actually operate by rules right now. I mean, you know, I go to church every Sunday. That might be somebody's rule. Or I, you know, I don't eat uh, dairy. That might be somebody's rule. They've just never written down a few of these rules. And so I recommend that everybody writes down a rule for the time they go to bed each night. Um, the number one thing they're going to focus on first thing in the morning in that 15 minutes. The number one health rule that they have. The number one wealth building rule that they have. And the number one not to do rule that they have. 
And if you write down those five rules, it'll be a nice little operating system, nice boundaries for your life that'll keep you out of trouble and keep you on track. And that's why I wrote my rules back in 2011. I remember sitting there on an Easter weekend at my my home on the farm and just sitting there at the kitchen table and writing down these rules. I don't know why it came to me to do that, but I did. And it's been one of my most popular, well, yeah, one of my most popular essays over the years. And because most people resonate with it and some people don't get it at first, but when I explain it to them, like I explained it to you, they do. And they just see that setting those boundaries in place really actually frees them up. And Paolo Coelho, the author of The Alchemist, has a really great quote. Discipline and freedom are not mutually exclusive, but mutually dependent because otherwise you would sink into chaos. So if you have no rules, you're going to have chaos in your life. You're going to be all over the place. You're going to be saying yes to everything. You're not going to have time for what matters. You're going to be you know, not sleeping well. You're going to end up with anxiety. But when you put rules and structure into place, you actually have true freedom in your life. When you wrote that essay, Craig, in hindsight now, a number of years later, so we're some five years down the track, when you look back at that essay, is there one particular rule that for you personally has been probably the most profound or powerful for you that's made a difference in your life? Yeah, that's a funny one. That um, you know, it's it, it talks about how I want to be a British gentleman. And people are probably wondering, what the heck does that mean? And it's because when I was younger, I used to curse like a sailor and I was rude. And, you know, I, I, I still, I still fight this and I'm very embarrassed to say this, but I still fight when I'm in the grocery store and I like going to the grocery store. It's one of the things I, I, I try and do a couple times a week. Cause I like looking at the new products that are out. But when I'm going to the cash register, I will race old ladies. If I see them, like I, I'm like, I gotta get ahead of this old lady. I don't want to be behind her in line. And, and then I think, well, what would a British gentleman do? A British gentleman would not race this old lady to the cast, you know, and, and, and so, but that's like my natural instinct. And so that rule of being polite and courteous at all times is what I mentioned in my rule. I think it's rule number eight. And I want to be like that. And so one thing that I've stopped doing is when I go into an elevator, even if I'm the only person in the elevator, I don't pull out my phone. And every person that comes into the elevator, I say, good morning, hello, good afternoon, whatever. I greet every person that comes in. And, you know, sometimes we have a conversation, sometimes we don't. But, I mean, that's what a British gentleman would do. And so I live my life like that because it's the opposite of my natural instinct. But my natural instinct is not good because I'm pretty sure your natural instinct of racing old ladies anywhere is not a good instinct. So, so <laughs> So that's the, uh, that's, and you know what, I wrote that down and I put it out public because if I do something in public and people see me like, Hey, you were, you didn't hold the la- that door for those people. Like, aren't you supposed to be a British gentleman? You know, it makes you feel like a hypocrite and you don't want to be a hypocrite. So I think sharing your rules for life is a good way to help keep you acting on the straight and narrow. That's gold. Absolute gold. Mate, um, just to close this up, I'd be curious to know the impact of we set our rules, we have them written down. What's the impact on willpower? Because we hear a lot about our lack of discipline. We hear a lot about the gray area of every great intention, but then we never do anything with it. And then we go back to willpower. What's the relationship between the philosophy you've just shared and willpower? It's a a very strong correlation. So If you set up rules for your life, it requires less willpower. So if you set up a rule for your life that, hey, my rule is I follow the paleo diet and I don't eat grains. Well, now if you go to a birthday party for your children, 
and somebody says, oh, you got to have a piece of this birthday cake, you can easily say to them, no, I, I follow the paleo diet. I have a rule that I don't eat grains. And not only will it, I mean, it, 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 it requires no willpower on your part because that's a rule. You follow this thing 100% of the time. It's easy for you to say no, but it's also easier for the person to go, oh, okay, that's your rule. I'm not going to give you a hard time about it. But if you just said, no, nah, I'm trying not to eat that stuff, then someone would – you know, they'd shove it back in your face the second time and you might have enough willpower to survive it. And they shove it back in your face the third time and then you'd break down. Next thing you know, you're like three cakes, three slices of cake deep and, and really disappointing yourself. But if you have rules, like I get up at this time of day and I focus on my number one priority for 15 minutes. And if you do that, it doesn't take willpower to actually focus on your priority because that's a rule that's like internalized in you. Now, it might take a little while for you to make these rules into automatic habits, but it's the first place to starting it and requiring less willpower, which is a depletable resource and something that you need for other areas of your life. Well, Craig, this has been a real privilege, mate. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoy your content, your philosophies, your energy. It's been a real treat, mate. So um, thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you guys laughing at my jokes. <laughs> This is the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitress. The Mojo Radio Show. That hands down easily my favorite interview this year. Really? For in terms of in, well in terms of gold, yes. In terms of gold, Absolutely. I, I, one, two, three. Three A4 pages of notes out of that one for me. The thing I took out of that, which is <laughs> actually quite profound because we talk about planning and setting up your day, <laughs> Craig's comment about if you are planning the morning of the day ahead, it's already too late. <laughs> yeah, the that's first right. 15 yes. minutes of your day sets up your day to get on top of yeah. it, you plan the night before. And the other thing that I liked is... Yeah. Don't overcomplicate your rituals. I, I hear some people on podcasts and their rituals, their morning rituals, runs for a page. <laughs> I do this, yeah. then I do that, then I do this, then I do that. And while that, I do this. It's don't don't overcomplicate it. And something I've taken away from Craig as well, those things, as also having a home and away game. So when you have your rituals, have your home where you'll hear Tim Ferriss say a lot on his podcast. If you have control of your day, a typical day of control of what are your rituals, but then also if you are on the road doing stuff, you could have an away game. It's a different set of rituals. So, yeah, yeah. he's cool. It's, it's funny, you know, there's two things I took out of that interview when we first recorded it a few weeks ago was the first one, that doing thing in the morning. I, as you know, I'm, I'm sort of a back end of the day person. I work late into the night rather than early in the morning. And I used to do that. I used to get up, have a cup of coffee. And while I was having my cup of coffee, I would organize my day. Since doing that, I've started doing it at the back end of, not, of the night. So I finished my work and then I plan my next day and then go to bed, which has been hugely productive. But the second and biggest one, was, um, you know, your morning rituals, cutting them down. I, I've got one now. It's coffee and that's about it. <laughs> Extensive. On the Mojo Radio Show. It's Rocktober. This is Tate Fletcher from Pirate Life Radio. You're listening to the Mojo Radio Show. Get it right for Rocktober. So Craig is a coach to a lot of successful people.
but as he says in his bio, he is a highly paid coach. And our salute for the Mojo Radio Show for Rocktober this week goes out to the coaches that are the volunteers. And Robbo coaches the young fellas in the football team and does it not being paid. This is all volunteer work. And I thought, there are coaches in all fields of endeavour, particularly those influencing children, whether it be in football, netball, tennis, little league, swimming, uh, archery, cross country. Mm. And it's not just the coaches that are doing it. Think about the people in the canteen, the people working at the scoreboard, the announcers, the people who volunteer <laughs> day in, people who run the day clubs, out, the committees. run the clubs. Yeah. They all do it for free. This is not some charity thing where I work for charity and get paid a couple of hundred grand a year. That's that to me is just this is different. This is every weekend training sessions, all weather conditions, putting up with parents, which you know all about, putting up with bureaucracy, putting up with officials, yet these volunteer coaches are shaping and the support crews are shaping the future for our communities, our countries, because we are raising kids who will be tomorrow's leaders and it's all in the hands of those people. So my ACDC salute. We salute you. We should all stand, rise, <laughs> raise your doseki, raise your cup of coffee, raise your Tim Tam, and salute the coaches. Uh, flicking through the acoustic sessions for this week, one that came, I came across that I thought probably not as in terms of a recording is, has a story to it, but uh, certainly the artist does. We had Ivor Davies on Rocktober 2017, I'm pretty sure it was, and we spoke about Great Southern Land, Icehouse's biggest hit, uh, and the inspiration that Ivor used to write that song. Lola, can you just play a little bit of that? My job at that time, we'd just come back from our first international tour and my job I knew very well was to sit down and write the next set of songs for that difficult second follow-up album. And Great Southern Land was... I had a new set of toys to play with. I had the, the Lindrum, which I'd bought in Los Angeles on that tour. It was a brand-new piece of technology. Um, I had my very first eight-track tape recorder, which meant that finally I could actually make sort of meaningful demo recordings in my own um, bedroom um, and the very first song that I wrote was Great Southern Land and I can remember taking that demo uh, to our managers and in turn to our uh, record label uh, which is a very small independent uh, record label there are only two guys running it and everybody reacted to it straight away in a way that I just sort of was shocked by. I just, I, I sort of looked at them and said, well, you know, this is just the first of 10 songs I've got to write. And, and they were going, you know, blah, 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 with amazement. <laughs> and I didn't understand that reaction then, and I still don't really understand the reaction. <laughs> Subsequently, that grab and probably even more so the song itself, that song, Great Southern Land, have become a real inspiration for me in the studio because I love the fact that he, he had these new toys but he decided that he was going to play with them, but not just to play with them. He set himself the challenge of learning these instruments but also writing, actually writing an anthem. And I know that that grab that he talked about in the show, about actually sitting down and wanting to write an anthem in the first place, has, has really been an inspiration for you too, hasn't it? I guess that grab always stuck with me because imagine how fewer times we sit and challenge ourselves in our business or our personal lives 
to sit down and really stretch ourselves. I mean, imagine as a songwriter saying, I don't want to write a great song. I want to write an anthem. And I, I love that. Imagine sitting down with a piece of paper with the inspiration of writing an anthem for your country. And I just whether it be learning something new, writing a blog that scares you, performing at a local pub, doing a poem, a book, designing a product or service for your category, I just think it's absolutely amazing to sit with a piece of paper and challenge yourself to do something epic. And I, I, I've never forgotten that piece from either. Standing with the lid of an endless ocean Stranded like a runaway lost at sea City on a rainy day down in the harbour Watching as the grey clouds shadow the bay Looking everywhere, had to find you This is not the way that I remember it here Anyone will tell you it's a prisoner island Hidden in the summer for a million years Great southern land Burn you black So you look into the land, it will tell you a story Story about a journey ended long ago Listen to the motion of the wind in the mountains Maybe you can hear them talking like I do They're gonna betray you, they're gonna forget you Are you gonna let them take you over that way? Great southern land In the sleeping sun you walk alone with the ghost of time, and they burn you black, black against the ground, and they make it work with rocks and sand. Strangers' voices see their hungry eyes, their hungry eyes. Great southern land, great southern land. You walk alone like a primitive man. You walk alone with the ghost of. And they burn you black Yeah, they burn you black Great Southern Land Great Southern Land Great Southern The 
Mojo Radio Show. Hey, Lola. I'm listening. Seems as it's Rocktober, I reckon it might be a good place for us to play that little bit you and I found, uh, Brad Pitt roasting Quentin Tarantino. Can you just play that for me? I'm on it. Quentin stands right next to the camera for each take. He does not direct from a monitor. In fact, Quentin does not allow for a monitor on set, nor cell phones. They must be handed in at Checkpoint Charlie before entering. Should you forget and your phone go off during a take, kill yourself. (laughs) Quickly. (laughs) Quentin calls the perfect take the big sister, the beautiful one everyone wants to date. Once you've got a big sister in the can, you can go for another one, maybe get a little sister. He says she's not as pretty, but you still take her home. Sometimes she proves more interesting. That's taken from probably one of the funniest introductions I have seen in a long time. It's from way back in 2010, but it's Brad Pitt introducing Quentin Tarantino. If you want to go and see the whole thing, go to YouTube and Google Brad introduces Quentin Tarantino. The whole thing runs by like five minutes. It's hilarious. You've heard it before, Gaz, but there's a lot of learnings in there, isn't there? There's a couple of lessons I get from Tarantino, and I love this guy. I'm not a huge fan of his movies, Mm. but I love him as a director and a producer. But he doesn't use a monitor. And when you when you look at Tarantino, listen to a lot of interviews, which I have with Tarantino, because I'm fascinated by the guy. And you think back to Michael Gervais, which is one of the quotes on the Rocktober street poster, which I'll talk about in a second. The famous quote, game recognizes game. And Michael Gervais, how do you get mastery? It's mastery of self, mastery of craft. Not using a monitor means he is absolutely within the movie. He's with the actor because he's seeing it live. It's almost, I don't know, you could relate that back to the corporate world where we see the world through a screen and a monitor, but we're missing what's happening on the showroom floor or on the building site or in the cabin of a truck with a truck driver or out in the field with a farm. We're missing all that because we're looking at it through a monitor, which is, I don't know, I just find that really powerful. I find, I find it powerful too, but there's a couple of things I see in it and maybe that's because I am a director stroke producer. But firstly, I see that he is he's watching for the feel of the scene. And in that, without a monitor, what he's actually saying is he's trusting the cameraman. Like he's, he's going, right, well, I trust my cameraman to capture the scene as it should be. So I'm going to leave him to that. And what I'm going to watch for is the feel. And that's where I think the little sister thing that Brad Pitt talked about comes into it. Because Brad Pitt said something like, um, sometimes the little sister is actually the best way to go. And I reckon that's because Tarantino is saying, sometimes the little sister has a better feel than the cinematically correct big sister. I, I I don't know. I'm just guessing, but I, I reckon there's some of that in there somewhere. Apparently, he also is big on no distractions, so don't dare bring a mobile phone. Yes. <laughs> and if you do, kill yourself and do it now. Do it God swiftly. Forbid. <laughs> that is a brilliant piece from Brad Pitt. I love Tarantino, and I think Brad Pitt just absolutely nailed it in that speech. You know what's on my mind right now? It ain't the coffee in my kitchen. It's the dead nigger in my garage. Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. All right, time for some swag. We have taken our favourite bits of gold from the last 
probably a year or so, plus some classics, and had it drawn into a giant street poster. It's got these really cool graphics on it, and it's up there for you to download for free at our website, which is themojoradioshow.com, and you'll see a tad there saying Rocktober. You can download it. Now, this thing will blow up to 1.25 metres by 0.7 metres. So this is a big street poster, and we've got one up here on the studio wall. You could also get a smaller version. We've put a lot of different versions up for you to get. So you can make it a screensaver, a poster, whatever. But what it is, is it's this giant poster and it's got, gee, it must be 25 different quotes, the great quotes from our former guests of the show. And then a guy called Guy Downs from Office Guy Cartoons has very cleverly written a little caricature with it. So it makes it into a very colourful street poster. What I find really good about it, though, is that you sit there in the studio looking at it and if, I don't know, you know, it's one of those things that every time you look at it, you see something different. Yeah, yeah. It, something else catches your eye. Absolutely. Guy Downs from Office Guy Cartoons is the guy, he's, a, he's an illustrator, a cartoonist, and he does PowerPoint presentations and newsletters and documents and all that sort of stuff for people. And it's really, really clever. And the idea of this is just to have it up there because what I love about this poster is that although we've heard these things, you've written in your journal you've got to keep it front of mind. And I think this would be great for anybody's desk or their kid's bedroom or to put into their own library or wherever, or just a screensaver. So it's at our website to download. It's a freebie. Thanks to Guy for doing it. It's awesome. Uh, And the second bit of swag we've got is a Spotify song list, especially for Rocktober. It is. It's the Mojo Radio Show's Rocktober playlist, and it's a combination of tunes that our guests have spoken about on the show when we've posed the big question. AP's thrown a few favourites in there. Lola's thrown a few favourites in there. Gaz, everybody. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a Mojo Show playlist. Bit of fun. We've got a guest coming up on the show called Pat McNamara, who is going to be epic. I've been waiting for this guy for weeks and weeks. And he's a metalhead, so I guarantee <laughs> there'll be some Judas Priest or there'll be some metallic, there'll be something being added to this list in the coming weeks, no doubt. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, maybe maybe we should keep this going after Rocktober. Maybe every time we, you know, we put a new show up with a new song, maybe we should just add to it and keep it going. The, 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 the Mojo, Mojo Radio Show. All right. Soundtracks to close out the show. Hit it. I am going to tie together a few themes from today's show. Uh, after the interview, we talked about uh, our morning routines, changing our morning routines and what our morning routines are. We also spoke about planning our mornings the evening before. Uh, we've had an acoustic session in there with an acoustic guitar. We talked about innovation and new ways of doing things. And also, being Rocktober, uh, one of the big things we did on Rocktober was not only played the classics, but we also showcased new music. So, this is a guy called Avicii. This is probably one of the biggest hits globally for the, in the last five years. The song's called Wake Me Up. That's a classic. We've got to play that. Catch you next week. Feeling my way through the darkness Guided by a beating heart I can't tell where the journey will end But I know where to start They tell me I'm too young to understand They say I'm caught up in a dream Well, life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes So that's fine by me So wake me up when it's all over When I'm 
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.